Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to a Horse and Hound podcast advertising series. This is the second episode of the Champion Safety Series. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. I've got two guests with me today. Firstly, Max Strandwitz, CEO at MIPS. And of course, we'll come on to what MIPS is very soon. Hello, Max. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Pippa. Great to be here. And we're also chatting to Helen Riley, brand manager at Champion. Hello, Helen. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Pippa. Hi, Max. Very nice to be here. So today, Helen, Max and I are going to explore MIPS. And we have to start with the very first question. Max, what does MIPS stand for? MIPS actually stands for Multi-Impact Protection System, or actually from the beginning, it was Multi-Directional Impact Protection System. The abbreviation is MIPS. Okay, so it's MIPS, M-I-P-S, Multi-Impact Protection System. And of course, as we go through this podcast, we're going to get into all the details. But to start us off, can you give us a very brief explanation of what MIPS is in really simple terms? Yeah, and MIPS is uh, a low friction layer that you normally find inside a helmet. And of course, just explaining that will not tell you a lot. But if we start with what we actually do is we try to redirect the energy that normally is absorbed by your head. How do we do that? We do that with exactly that multi a directional impact protection system, which is called MIPS. We do that through redirecting energies. And to explain how that works is that normally when you are out doing a sport, we can take, for instance, horseback riding. You sit on your horse, you fall off the horse. Normally what happens is that you fall to the ground with an angle. When you fall to the ground with an angle, normally what happens in a traditional helmet is that the head gets buried into the EPS, so normally the EPS foam, and basically gets stuck. Inside your head, your brain is floating in water. If I actually nod, like I'm doing now, my head and my brain normally moves independently from each other with somewhere around 10 to 15 millimeters. And what we do with our system is avoiding the head to get to that sudden stop. So at the point of impact, when you're actually hitting the ground, the MIPS layer allows the head to continue to travel around 10 to 15 millimeter, avoiding the head to get to that sudden stop and avoiding that you are normally absorbing those dangerous energies. We call that rotational motion. And that is something that you, of course, want to avoid to really make sure that you don't expose your brain to unnecessary angled impact, so to say. Gosh, it sounds like really clever technology and looking forward to hearing a bit more about that later on. Helen, I'm going to bring you in here first to get a bit more of a feel for Champion and MIPS. How did the team at Champion first hear about MIPS? Well, Champion keep completely up to date with new technology. We're researching all of the time. Um, So we knew of the work very early on that MIPS were doing and we had uh, several meetings in the early days with members of the MIPS team. And when were the first Champion Helmets incorporating MIPS actually launched? Uh, So following our visit, myself and our chief engineer, Tony Pawkowski, visited Stockholm and went to visit MIPS Test Lab back in 2017. 
and on our return we commenced work on implementing MIPS into two models of hats and we launched them at Beta in January 2019. Okay, and how many Champion helmets now carry that MIPS technology? So we have six different models covering two different mould shapes and they're available in 14 style and colour combinations. So, so lot, lots of different options now available from Champion. And if you were looking at one of those champ, Champion helmets that had MIPS, would you be able to tell using your naked eye that it was a, a MIPS helmet or not? There is a, a, a small yellow circular badge on the rear of the harness. Um, and I believe this badge is incorporated on all types of MIPS helmets. Ours is on the back of the harness. And so you can, if you were to pick up a helmet in store, look on the back of the harness there and look for the little yellow MIPS badge. So that's on the reverse at the back of the helmet. Otherwise, no, you can't, you can't see the MIPS system without removing the comfort padded crown liner. Um, if you were to do that to say hand wash the removable crown liner, then that would reveal the MIPS system underneath and you'd be able to see it. Okay, that's interesting. Max, coming back to you, let's find out a bit more about the background to MIPS. What led to the idea for this technology first coming about? Yeah, it actually origins already back in 1995. It origins from a very frustrated neurosurgeon that got a lot of patients on his uh, surgery table with severe brain damage, despite the fact that they actually carried uh, or had a helmet uh, when they had the accident. And what he did is he started to do some research. He then understood the impact on rotational motion and what it actually does to your brain. He quickly realized that he couldn't actually solve this problem by himself so he contacted the royal technology institute in stockholm the biomechanics department there he met actually peter haldin which is one of the founder of mips peter was actually working with a completely different project he was working on a research project on milk separation but he quickly got very interested about the subject and they teamed up and started to do a lot of research on, on the topic. And in 2001, the first scientific publication around MIPS was actually published and so on. In 2004, they realized and said that most probably, we, if we want to get this to the market, we need to develop our own helmet. And they actually did that. Uh, and it was an equestrian helmet. The helmet was released in 2007, actually at Gothenburg Horse Show. Uh, they did produce around 3000 helmets. All of them were directly sold out. The company was a commercial success and it was really hunky dory. The only issue is that MIPS as a company had no clue how to produce helmets. They know what our technology did and how it can improve the overall performance of the helmet. But the biggest issue is, of course, uh, that they were not helmet manufacturers. They, what happened is that during winter time in Sweden, of course, as everyone knows, gets quite cold. So the neck retention system of the helmet actually cracked because it was made of plastic and all the 3000 helmets had to be recalled. And the company was actually or was bankrupt. 
but there was some investors that really liked the technology and they actually managed to inject more cash on one condition that the company would reformulate its business strategy to become an operator as an ingredient brand model instead because they knew that we probably knew more than anyone else when it comes to helmet safety and brain protection and that's what we should focus on there is so many more uh, companies and brands around the world that does a lot or knows a lot more about helmet protection helmet development and so on and it's much better that they focus on that so that's the short story so it was basically almost a disaster that led to where we are today today we're working with 121 different brands all over the world uh, we are in nine different types of uh, helmets today and constantly growing last year we grew with 43 percent organically so getting a lot more attention and the awareness of mips is increasing all over the world Okay, so that's really interesting. So the situation now is that MIPS doesn't manufacture helmets. It's a component that, that you manufacture that can be put into helmets by other companies such as Champion. Is that what I'm understanding correctly? Yes, and, and I mean, Champion, they are a great example of that. They are world-class when it comes to helmet development, understanding how to market uh, helmets and so on. And then, of course, it's fantastic for MIPS to have that opportunity to partner up with them and bring a great product to the market. Mm, and we'll hear a bit more from Helen later about how Champion incorporates MIPS into its helmets. But a bit more from you first, Max. Tell us a bit about the other sort of sporting activities that use MIPS, because it's not just horse riding. And um, what other sort of sports and activities were early adopters for the technology? Yeah, I think the, the first helmet that we actually did as an ingredient brand was a snow helmet. And there we actually have all the big brands in the world. They have already incorporated MIPS into uh, their helmets. The second category, which is our biggest helmet category, is actually bicycle. There we have nine out of the 10 biggest brands in the world. And if you go to, for instance, US market, there MIPS is becoming sort of a standards. If you go into a store normally, you will always find a MIPS helmet. So I would say that in other categories, they are much more advanced when it comes to uh, adapting new technology and so on. The equestrian market has been a little bit more traditional when it comes to adapting new technology, including more new technology into the helmet and so on. So it's really great to see uh, brands like Champion being the pioneers of the industry and so on and really develop uh, the safety standards of the industry. Mm, it's really interesting that equestrianism has been a little traditional, maybe, and lagged behind compared to, you mentioned, snow sports at the beginning there, because, um, you know, I've been riding all my life and I'm, I'm nearly 40 and I would not ever have dreamed of getting on a horse without a helmet. But I've also been skiing for about 25 or 30 years and I skied for 10 or 15 years without a helmet. And that was really quite common at that time, although a lot less so now. So it's interesting how sort of attitudes to, to helmets change in different sports over time. But really great to see equestrianism catching up now and champions sort of at the forefront of that. Yeah. Let's delve a bit more into what MIPS actually does. We touched earlier on the fact that MIPS is all about helping when the hell head takes a particular kind of impact. What sort of impact is it that MIPS really helps with? 
So I must say, if you talk about so say, different types of impact, you normally isolate two different types of impact. First of all, you have a linear impact. And a linear impact is normally protecting you against a skull fracture. So if you fall straight up or fall and fall down, then you would normally be exposed to a skull fracture or that kind of compression. What MIPS does is trying to redirect energy that the head is normally exposed to during angled impact. So think again, like I said, um, in the beginning, you're riding on your horse, you're falling to the ground, you normally have a bit of speed and you normally hit the ground with some kind of angle. Today, we are testing helmets for 45 degrees angle, and that is when you are challenging the helmet the most. If you look at injury statistics when it comes to horseback accidents, uh, I talked to university the other day and they talked about it being 44%. So it is actually very similar to real life accidents and what actually happens when you're doing horseback riding and so on. Uh, what happens then is that, of course, like I said, your head is normally getting stuck in your helmet. We allow for that relative motion of 10 to 15 millimeters between the head and the helmet to avoid the head to get to that sudden stop. And, and that is really important. A lot of people, they say that I don't need MIPS because I have a lot of hair or I have no hair. But you also have to realize that the moment that happens, you normally have a point pressure of somewhere around 750 to 1000 kilos and try to move something when you have 10 guys standing on your head. Of course, that's impossible. And also the duration of time where you can actually make a difference is extremely short. You have somewhere around five to 10 milliseconds to redirect the energy. And if you just blink with your eyes, that's around 100 milliseconds. So a very short duration of time where you have an opportunity to redirect the energy. If you miss that slot, then of course it's already too late. So when we look at equestrian and for instance, if you take accident statistics, one out of five concussions that happens in sports is normally relating to uh, equestrian accidents and so on. And, and just in Sweden, there is five concussions reported every week uh, when it comes to uh, equestrian accidents and so on. So of course, it is a relevant thing to address. We talked a lot to the industry and of course we were expecting also that the new updated standards would actually address this because of course, you would assume that the testing standard would also realize or address a real accident scenario. Today, testing is still done only at the linear impact. And if you remember what I said is that is the impact straight down. So today they are actually testing helmets by dropping them 1.5 and at some impacts even 1.8 meters straight down. But that's of course normally not how you fall. We'll talk a little more about testing standards a bit later on, but um, that's good to understand how, how MIPS can help with those sort of angled impacts and, um, and really protect the brain. Helen, coming back to you now, we heard from Ben Hanna, who is one of Champions Engineers, on the first episode of this series about how helmets are designed. 
Can you give us a reminder of the different layers that are involved in a helmet? Sure. So, as Ben said, the um, the main components of any helmet in the market is made up of either an ABS or composite fiberglass shell. So you have the shell and then the uh, EPS, which is the polystyrene liner. These are the main protective energy deflecting or absorbing properties. And these two components carry out the large majority of the protective work. Um, however, now with MIPS, which is a, a fantastic system, we can now have that added protection with the um, slip plane layer for the oblique impact protection. Okay, and how does Champion sort of incorporate that, that MIPS technology into, into that helmet design? So as I said, MIPS is a slip plane layer. Its component is built into the inside of the polystyrene liner and it just sits and sort of floats, if you like, so that it's able to move the 1015 mil requirement uh, that MIPS requires to do its job. And that sits between the polystyrene liner and the, the EPS and the comfort padded liner. So that's why if you remove the comfort padded liner, you can just see the MIPS layer underneath. Okay. So I think uh, originally when MIPS first started, um, there was a point where the MIPS system was going in between the EPS and shell. However, that now, um, that now has, has been resolved and sits generally inside the EPS between the EPS and the, and the comfort padded liner. Okay, great. And Max, coming back to you, I'm sure that there's been an awful lot of testing by your company sort of during the MIPS development process. How does that testing sort of work? Give us a bit of an overview. Yeah, today we have done a little bit more than 40,000 uh, tests. Uh, so of course we have done a lot of testing. We normally not uh, publish our own test results because we believe it's wrong for the industry if everyone started to publish what you have tested at home and so on. But of course, we have done a lot of validation. We always rely on third party to do the testing and so on. And there is a lot of insurance companies. You also have Virginia Tech in the US and so on. And they publish a lot, lot of test re reports and so on. And that is important for us. Uh, we have done a lot of uh, accident reconstructions. We are also using a computer model of the human brain, which is developed by uh, the Royal Technology Institute in Stockholm. That one have been tested against uh, real life accidents and so on, and is one of the most validated computer models of the brain. And that is exactly the same computer model that the automotive industry is also using. And that has been extremely important for us to have that tool to really be able to calculate and see that you make a difference in certain kind of impacts and so on. So science is extremely important to us. We have today six people only focusing uh, on computer modeling and making sure that we can model different uh, accident scenarios, which I don't believe that any other company in the helmet industry has today. So really giving us great competitive edge, but also being able to model rotational motion forces in computer modeling is also something that is really state of the art. So uh, we have a state of the art test lab here in Stockholm. Uh, we have today six different type of test equipment where we test the helmet from a lot of different impacts. 
of course, angled impacts, but we also always test the helmet to see that we never worsen the performance from a linear impact or another type of impact. Yeah, that would be uh, be terrible if in incorporating MIPS and improving things for that oblique impact, it took away something from, from the helmet's original performance. But yeah. obviously, yeah, it's something you're very aware of there with your own testing. And what about independent testing? I think you just mentioned insurance companies have done quite a lot of independent testing on MIPS. Yeah, and they do that. And, and here in Sweden, actually, they uh, publish uh, test results every year. They do test equestrian helmets, they do test uh, bicycle helmets, they do test snow helmets. And this is about educating the consumer about what are the helmets that is out there and what is the different levels of, of safety and so on. And I think that's a really good step. Consumer Report in the US is also doing similar tests. Like I said, Virginia Tech in the US is also doing a lot of tests. So you see that more and more that uh, test Institute are publishing different test results. And I think the greatest thing of that is all of them, I wouldn't say all, but most of them is also including rotational motion as an element in their test standards. And that is actually much more advanced than the traditional test standards that actually origins or exist in all the different types of helmet that there is today. And as you were saying earlier, that's sort of a better reflection of a real life scenario than, um, than, than that traditional testing. Yeah. Helen, tell us about the research and testing that Champion did before incorporating MIPS into the helmets. So our in-house investigations were ongoing throughout MIPS's own development. Uh, we'd spent time researching over a very long period of time. So we researched through feedback for, of use in other sports. Um, we observed the developing technology at MIPS from the startup years to its progression and current day systems. So ours uses the most up-to-date e-solution, e-MIPS solution. We uh, followed the uptake by sports and obviously the spread of the technology and that kind of feedback that, that uh, the marketplace and other sports were giving. We spent a lot of time looking at the scientific data and research, as Max has uh, suggested. There's been a lot of information from insurance companies and various other independent uh, universities that have been doing research into the rotational uh, or oblique impact types of accident scenario. Um, and also, I sit on the standards development uh, committee. so. Uh, we have been looking at for quite a, a number of years, uh, looking at ways to incorporate rotational motion protection into the standards. So there has been a great deal of work going on with a group WG11. They have been looking into how they can define test methods to be able to be repeatable, accurate, so that we're able to advise notify bodies and test houses how they should look to test for this type of impact scenario. So Champion have been at the forefront of, of the work involved in in trying to get, you know, some kind of rotational uh, performance requirements written into the standards. So that is that is ongoing as we speak. 
Mm. And I think that's something that you were sort of touching on, Max, at the end of your last uh, last answer as well, that in the future, we might well see testing standards being updated to test for these sort of bleak impacts. Is that is that right? Yeah, we, we do hope so. And, and we see uh, exactly like uh, Helen is also uh, explaining that uh, all the different regulatory bodies and especially in Europe is addressing the issue to really become to a new standard look at how can they include the rotational motion element into it and and that is a very important task and and so on uh, but you need to get the whole industry with you and that normally takes a bit of time and helen we heard from ben on the last podcast about different standards that helmets can be tested to and what you should look for when choosing a helmet at the moment can you just remind us what those standards are that people should should be looking for so um PASO 1.5, um, I consider as a, as a starting point. Um, so PASO 1.5 2011 is a British standard. It was put together by the British Standards Institute um, and has much higher performance requirements than the uh, European VG1. So I think this standard should be looked at as an absolute minimum in any hat that you're looking to purchase. The other thing would be the kite mark. So the kite mark should be acquired against a standard of the same the same level. So if you're if you're going to originally certify your hat to Paso 15 2011, then you should apply and acquire your kite mark to the British Paso 15 2011. So those two things would be an absolute minimum for me. And then Obviously, by incorporating MIPS, you get that, that extra sixth area of protection for the rotational motion. So, so those would be the three things as a, as a minimum. Mm. So to be clear, a helmet with MIPS will meet those standards and then the MIPS is an extra at the moment. On top of that, it's not something that's tested for within the standards. That's so correct, yes. So there has to be additional testing for, for the validation of the MIPS part. Mm, okay, so it's good to understand that. So if I was looking to buy a new hat, I wanted to get the best possible protection. What should I be looking for on the labelling to make sure I've got the right standard and that I've got MIPS? So the PASO 15 level of protection. So you would look for the PASO 15 uh, swing ticket label. Um, also inside the helmet in the crown liner, there is normally a sewing label which states which standard the helmet meets look for the kite mark logo which we all know the um the shape of the kite mark what that looks like so always look for that and if you're looking for a mips hat then look for the little circular yellow mips dot and that kite mark label that you just re referred to is sort of that that heart shape isn't it that we all that we're, that we're quite used to seeing well, it sort of looks like a flying kite yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so at least you know with the kite mark this gives you peace of mind that batch testing has occurred um, without a kite mark you can certify a product to get your ce marking permission and with without batch testing then products are, are, don't have to be tested ever again so it's peace of mind that what you're purchasing is the same quality as that original certification so batch testing and kite marking is really important mm. and the mips label i think you said earlier in the podcast just to remind people that's yellow that people should be looking out for it is yeah 
Okay, great. I feel like we've got a good handle on um, on what we should be looking for there. And just to come back to Champion as a company, just talking to you about the technology, it feels like um, Champion is a company that likes to sort of push the boundaries of technology to be innovative, to always be striving to make better products and, and be sort of at the cutting edge of that technology. Is that very much sort of part of your company philosophy? Absolutely. Um, this can be evidenced by our own financial commitment to our own in-house state-of-the-art test lab and large engineering team. A reputation cannot be built on safety without some solid foundations and evidence of respect for the brand through time and usage of the products. Mm, that's great to hear that sort of in investment in, uh, in all the research and so on to, to produce the best possible helmets for riders. Max, before we finish, do you have any final messages for our listeners about why they should choose a helmet with MIPS and how it's going to help them? Yeah, so I mean, doing equestrian or horseback riding, of course, the, the best accident is always the accident that didn't happen. So of course, really try to make sure that you look at the conditions around you, always try to stay as safe as possible. Um, of course, having a helmet with MIPS is that one is designed to address rotational motion. You can never be certain you could still have a concussion with a MIPS helmet on, but our ambition is at least to reduce the risk. When you're horseback riding, you know that you're coming with a lot of speed, you're coming with a lot of force. And our ambition is, of course, to try to re redirect that force. I, we have been today, like I said, we are in 121 different type of helmet brands. You can find our solutions in most type of helmets. We have 10 different technologies which we are incorporating. If you want to find a MIPS equipped helmet, always look for the yellow dot. And just to clarify for people, it just occurred to me that when we talk about rotational falls in eventing, particularly um, in horse sport, we are talking about a particular sort of fall where the horse comes over the fence and, and comes down often on top of the rider. But a rotational fall is different to rotational motion here. That can happen in any sort of fall. You don't have to be jumping. You don't have to be eventing. That is a, a kind of motion that could happen to your brain falling off out hacking, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it can come from a slip, a trip or a fall. Uh, so there is a lot. You can also be hit by certain things if you're horseback back riding and all of a sudden you hit the branch or, or something else. So, of course, it can happen in a lot of different types of accidents. Mm, that's great. I just thought we were using the word rotational there, which I think in the context of accidents sometimes has a particular meaning in horse sport. And it was good to yeah. sort of clarify it's not not quite the same thing that we've been talking about on this podcast. Helen, any final advice or messages from you on, on MIPS and Champion? Um, so people know that they can trust Champion. We don't make any hats to a lower standard than the Paso 15. Um, safety comes as standard with us. Always research before buying and make an informed choice. Um, and lastly, we make many different mold shapes. So there's bound to be some models in our collection that will be a suitable fit. When making an informed choice, you know, make that choice that you want as many areas of protection as possible. So if you were to go for something like a Paso 15 level of protection, you know that is giving you at least five good areas of protection. And then if you look for the MIPS yellow dot, you're getting that sixth area of protection. So this gives you um, obviously peace of mind and um, just consider, you know, an uninformed and a bad purchase can leave you with only two to three areas of protection. 
and without batch testing, no guarantee that the quality of the hat has not deteriorated since its original certification. So make an informed choice and go for the safest options. Brilliant. Well, this is such an interesting series. I'm learning an awful lot through it. And thank you so much to Max Strandwitz from MIPS and to Champions Helen Riley for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Pippa. We will be back in August with the third episode of the Champion Safety Series when we'll be focusing on body protectors. I hope you enjoyed listening and don't forget the first episode in this series featuring traumatic brain injury survivor Helen Washington and champion engineer Ben Hanna is available in our podcast back catalogue. That's it for today. Goodbye. Goodbye.